And if you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, and then go uh, two books over, past 2 Timothy, to Titus. Don't get to go to Titus too often, um, but it's there. And we're going to go to Titus chapter 2. And uh, I have a unique challenge today because I've been really, I, I was really praying really what to, to share this week because the first week we shared about the ideal, the, the gap between the ideal family and the real family. The, the ideal of what God wants our family to look like and then the real of where our family really is and how grace fills the gap. And then the second week I came in and actually I spoke on parenting and children and we spoke specifically to what the role of children is in family and the role of parenting and what we are to do as parents. This, uh, this is crazy. I went and shared that same, listen to this, I shared that same sermon in Eunice and our, one of our I was last week eating dinner with a, with a family at Eunice, and, and the, the husband was on vacation during that time. Him and his wife were on vacation when I preached that message, and he said they were coming back from Tennessee, and they got on the podcast and listened to the message that I preached about parenting and about how we're supposed to respond in discipline out of love and not anger. And he said he came home, and he found out that the kids across the street burned his fence down. He said, you will not realize how timely your message was. Because I was about to walk over in a very non-Jesus way, and he said, my wife looked at me and said, you remember the message we heard on the way home? So if you haven't heard that message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. And then Pastor Bubba came back last week and talked about the tension, um, the tension that we feel between families. And, and just living with family, there's a tension that's there. There's conflict that's there. How do you resolve conflict in your family? I would greatly encourage you to go back and, and listen to those as well. Miss Tracy shared a, shared a Mother's Day message on, the, on women and mothers, which was great. Next week, we're going to cap this series off. Actually, Pastor Zach's going to be preaching um, in the house. And so he's going to be preaching to fathers. We're going to have a Father's Day message directly geared to men. So I say all that to say, I don't know what's left to say about family, but I do actually. And this is what I want to preach on today, and, and, and I'm going to set this up, and then we're going to dive right in because I have a lot that I want to share, and as many of you know, I have a lot to share in a short amount of time, so I want to get through as much of it as possible. But um, I'm going to share about this. There is a dynamic that even within our church family, how many know the church is a family as well? We're not an organization, we're not a corporation, we're a family. Um, we're a family who get together. And so there's this dynamic. What I'm going to talk about today is not only a dynamic in the natural family between mothers and children, but there's a dynamic in the church spiritual family. And this is the dynamic, and there's a tension here, between the older and the younger. The older generation and the younger generation. And there is, there's a gap there. It's what a, a lot of the culture calls the generational gap. There's a gap between what the older people did and used to do, and this is how we did it, and the younger people, and this is what we do, and this is how we did it. And how many would say those are two usually complete opposites, right? And so I want to speak to that because here's the deal. The future of our church and the church, capital C, depends on us getting this right, on how do the older generation work with the younger, and how do the younger generation work with the older, and how do they work together to make the church what it is? Because here's the truth, you need both. You desperately need both. A church that's just filled with a bunch of young people is not good. And a church that's just got all gray hair and it's old people, it's almost dead. I'm going to preach it like it is. I'm sorry, that's the only way I know how to do it. But you're only, you're only a couple decades away from the church dying. We have a, a many of them here in, the, in, in Jennings. There's no young people at all. So, um, so I want to read. We're going to go to, I'm not even there yet. That's terrible. Okay, so we're going to go to 1 Timothy. I want to read in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and then we're going to go to Titus. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're going to go there first. We're going to read two verses. Uh, if, if you don't have a Bible, you've got a, maybe an electronic Bible, that's okay. That's our new generation. Come on, embrace it, young, old people. Okay, listen, they got a phone on their Bible. It's okay, they got a phone, and it's a Bible. It's all right. They're in the Bible. Uh, and then there's some here that don't bring your Bibles, and you look to the screen for the Bibles, and that's okay. We'd like you to bring your Bibles, but that's okay. But I'm old school. I like the paper. Um, but here we go. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him. 
as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all what? In all purity. Okay, now go to Titus, Titus chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 2, and it says this, older men, can I hear it for the older men in the house? That was mostly women, but okay. <laughs> Either that or some older men have some very feminine voices. <laughs> older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women. Can I hear it for the older women? <laughs> Come on. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. I find that so hilarious. I told this to Zach yesterday. Usually when the Bible's talking about drinking, it's usually to men. You know, don't be a drunkard. This is to the old women. (laughs) Do you not find that funny? Watch out for the wine. Gets a little crazy, all right? So it says, not to be slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women. Can I hear it for the young women? To love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men. Can I hear it for the younger men? Yeah, there we go. To be self-controlled. That's it. All right. That's all it says. Show yourselves in all respect to be a model of good works. Okay. So here's the question that I want to throw out here. Why is it that there are, and there's, listen, there's so many more. I don't, we don't have time to do all this. It's Ephesians 6, and we're going to go through some other ones as well. Um, but there's so many scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, that, that deal with the older and younger in church and how they relate to one another. Why are there so many passages in scripture that deal with this? And the truth is, is because it's been a problem since the beginning. It's been a problem. In the Bible, there was problems with this generational gap, with the older and with the younger. So as far back as Bible times, there's been conflict and tension between the younger and the older. And so the Bible speaks very clearly to both of them. Because let's, let's just let's boil it all down. Let's, let's kind of put all of our cards on the table. Older, if you're in an older generation, there's a lot of things that the younger people do that you will just think are crazy. There's, I've never met an older a grandma that's ever walked in and their granddaughter has tattoos and piercings all over and pierce their belly button and go, that's awesome. They usually go, why did you do that? Oh, it's cool. Did it hurt? Like heck. Then why did you do that? Okay, there's very rare that an older generation is going to look at a younger generation and see some of the things that they did and they'll go, that's, that's just awesome. They think they're just crazy. And, and the younger generation can't understand why the older generation doesn't spend two hours on Facebook or why they don't tweet or Instagram. They, they have no comprehension of why the older generation can't get this. The fact that you're, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how it is. It was, oh, man, it was so funny. Pastor Bubba is very, he's very old school, okay? Like, we just got him a laptop, like, a year ago, Okay? And, and he still types with one finger, and we just set him up a, a, a Twitter account as well, so you have to go track him down. And so every time he'd come into my office, he'd go, how do I send one of those twits? <laughs> First off, it's tweets. <laughs> Second off, if I got to show you so there's a lot of that that's going on in our office because our office is older generation and younger generation. And there's a lot of that that's going on. Um, and so th- that's, just the, that's just the tension and the conflict that's there. It's not good or it's not bad. It's, it's, just, it's just what it is. And, um, and, and I think today uh, I have a very unique challenge because for me, I, I kind of stand in the middle. I'm still young enough to be quote-unquote, in a younger generation, but I'm growing older, and my wife points out my gray hairs constantly that are now coming into my head, 
And so I'm not in my 20s anymore. I'm now slowly creeping fastly. No, it's not creeping. It's fast into my 30s. And, and so I'm halfway there to 60. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm not as young as I used to be. And I can play sports with a bunch of young guys and figure that out real quick. Um, but I'm not in the older either. So I'm kind of in the middle. And so I, I kind of want to speak to you as a mediator between the two. I understand where the older generation is coming from, but I also understand where the younger generation is coming to. And so today I want to speak specifically to both of you um, in a very loving way, um, but also in a very encouraging way. I hope this message is very encouraging, and as you always know, it definitely will be convicting. Um, So let me speak specifically to the older generation. Now, let me start this here. You may say, Pastor Josh, how do I know if I'm older or younger? I'm not answering that question, first off. Don't you dare put me in those shoes. Um, If you feel young, you're young. If you feel old, you're probably old, okay? I'm not going to say that this is an age when you're older and younger. Now, culture will say uh, in the higher 40s and 50s, you're starting to definitely get into the older generation, um, but I'm not going to classify it as that. I, I know people that are in their 60s that are vibrantly young. I know those who are in their, that are 20s that, that act like 60-year-olds. And so, uh, so I'm not going to define it by age, but what I want to do here is when I speak to the older generation, here's the truth. Everybody's older than somebody, and everybody's younger than somebody. So can you put yourself in both categories here? Because I'm going to speak to older and younger, and I want you to put yourself in both of them. Um, but I do want to speak right now to the older generation. Here's what I want to speak to. There's a, the culture labels the older generation one word. And this is the word that I'm going to give you. And I want you to write it down. Discounted. Discounted. That's a label that our culture puts on the older generation. That, and, and older people are asking this question all the time. Do I have anything left to give? Come on, let's be honest. If you're older in here, you ever thought that question? Do I have anything left to give? I've raised all my kids. All my kids are out of the house. I've retired from my job. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But do I have anything left to give? And then the the second question that kind of tags along to that is, if I did have something left to give, would anybody want it? And so there's this discounted label that gets put on the older older people. And, And let me just speak real briefly here to those in the room that are of the gray haired persuasion. Or maybe no haired persuasion. Our culture values itself on trying to sell something to you that I think is absolutely wrong. And that is this, that when you get to a certain age that you can tap out, that you've worked hard, that you owe it to yourself, that you can go and now buy an RV, go tour the world, and tap out of life until you die. I'm talking about retirement. Now, here's the deal. I totally agree with retirement from vocation. You put your time in, and you work hard, and you are a man of God who does his job well, and they offer retirement, take it. You need to retire. That is absolutely fine. I'm not speaking to retirement of vocation. I'm speaking to retirement to life. That there is this concept that once you get to a certain age, you don't have to do anything anymore. Do you know that there's not one verse in the Bible that tells you that when you get old, you get to check out and go play? Do you know that? Let's look. Psalm 71. Go to Psalm 71 with me. See, it's actually quite the opposite. When you retire, you get older, you're in the golden years of your life. That's when actually the next generation needs you the most, and that's when you actually have the most to offer. Let me read this, Psalm 71. I know I'm not going to get a lot of amens in this one. I, I, I'm just, I'm cool with that. But can I speak very honestly to you? Psalm 71, verse 17. Look at this. This is David. <laughs> he's not older yet. He's actually still in his mid-30s, 40s, and he is running for his life. He has people that are chasing him and trying to kill him, and so he has enemies pursuing him constantly, and he's going through all this conflict. And I want you to read what he says. Psalm 71, verse 17, he says, Oh God, from my what? From my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to what? 
old age and gray hairs. Oh God, do not forsake me until what? Until I proclaim your might to another generation. Your power to all those who come. That's the way I want to go out. Come on, and if you are of the older generation in here, that's what you want to be said about you. God, may I not die until I've had every opportunity to continually proclaim to the next generation what you have done in my life. Don't take me out until I've done everything that you want me to do. Do you notice there's nothing in this verse where David's like, God, I just can't wait until I can just retire. And I don't have to worry about any of this anymore. No. To the death I want to continually do. Listen, you're not retiring from life. You may retire from a vocation, but you never retire from ministry. You never retire from those things. God is still wanting to use you powerfully. And listen, if you're older in here, I want to say something, and this is very profound, especially if you've battled with the fact that I don't know if I have anything left to give. And, and I understand that as you get older, your body begins to not be able to do what it used to do. I understand that. You can't go to the places that you used to go. You can't stay up as late as you wanted to stay. You, you have to do things that you don't want to do anymore. There's different, there's physical disabilities and limitations. I understand that. I totally understand that. But can I say this to you? If you are not dead, you're not done. Come on, write that in your notes right now. If you're not dead, you're not done. I, uh, I am honored and blessed to have a grandmother that loves Jesus passionately. Anybody, most, most of you in here, unless you're newer, know my grandmother. She has the highest hair in the house, usually. It's her glory bun. That's what we call it. She's the matriarch of our family. We call her that all the time. She's the matriarch. My grandfather passed away of a massive heart attack back in 1995 in a bank. And uh, she's been through some stuff. She led worship for like 35 years for multiple different churches. And she loved Jesus passionately. And her and her husband loved Jesus. And they, they uh, I mean, a lot of what I am today is because of them and what they've done. And I, and I love my grandmother. If you've ever sat down with her for any duration of time, she loves to tell stories. She has a story for everything everything to the point where our younger are like our grand like the grandkids which all of our grandkids are now in their 20s and going into their 30s now we know all these stories we hear them all the time and there's a part on me that gets frustrated because she always wants to share the story and it's like you've heard the story five times you know that like i've heard that story i know that story but for her she likes to continue to relive these moments of what she's done and where she's been and uh my grandmother is so full of wisdom um that as a younger generation, if you don't realize that that is there, that that's there to impart that, and she wants to impart as much of that to her grandkids. And, her, and now, and to, she's, got my, she's got my boys this weekend, so her great-grandkids are there. And my boys love, literally, I walk in, and Joel is sitting in her lap, and Judah is sitting in her lap, and Josiah is sitting in her lap. And she's telling stories about how her daddy used to pee in the bed and do all these things. You know, she's always embarrassing me, but... That's why she does. But she's also telling all these stories of what God's done in her life. And her and Josiah have more theological conversations, I think, than I ever did with Josiah. He just goes and shares his heart. and I love that. I love that. I hope, as a grandpa, I get to do that. Have my kids and my great-grandkids to sit down and share about what God has taught me. She prays with them, and she, she shows them how God's been faithful to her. I have, you know, men like Pastor Bubba, who has spoken into my life for a long time. I told him on the phone today before we got off. I said, Pastor Bubba, I said, one, the fact that I get to preach today is because of you. I'm standing on your shoulders, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that. A man who at, took me at 18, who was a a very hurt young man that walked through a real tragic hurt with my father committing adultery on my mother and then having a lot of daddy hurt. He took me under his wing, and he showed me what it was to be a man. And he showed me what it was to love a woman. And he showed me what it was to love Jesus. And he showed me what it was. And he didn't do it just in the stuff that he taught. A lot of it I caught because I was just with him. 
He invited me into his home. I could open his refrigerator and eat anything from there. I was like a son to him. Actually, when I still go with him places, people are like, this is your son? He's like, pretty much. But I stand here today because of men and women who have invested in me and who decided that they were not done. They're not done. And can I say that to you? You're not done. And, 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 and if you, as an older generation, take this label that, that the culture wants to give you of discounted, this is what's going to happen. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to resent the young generation or you're going to be intimidated by them. That's what's going to happen. If you take on the discounted, like, oh, pity me, I can't really do anything. Oh, I'm going to check out. There's not much for me left. Oh, this is just a young church. All the young people go do all the stuff. I'm not. If you do that, you're going to resent the young people coming up, or you're going to be intimidated by them and not do anything. But can I just, can I pose this? Because I, I really feel like this is where we are as a church. What if the older generation didn't resent the next generation, but discipled them? What would that look like? Let me give you a couple of things here. What does, if you're older, this is specifically for you. But listen, if you're, you're always going to be older than somebody, so everybody needs to hear this. What does the next generation need from me, okay? We're going to take some notes here. This is, if you are older, you need to listen in. This is what the next generation, my generation, and the generations to come, this is what they need from you. Number one, uh, actually, let's go to Titus. Go back to Titus chapter 2. Go to Titus 2. <clears throat> and I want to read, we're going to... Well, we did read. It says, older women, be reverent. Older men, be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, steadfastness. Older women, be reverent in behavior. But look what it says in verse 4. So train the young women. This is for the older women. Train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And that's the same to older men, to train the young men. So this is what the next generation needs from you. Number one, this next generation will not know God if we don't show God. This next generation will not know God if we don't show God. Here's, here's the thing that I deal with when I'm, I'm with the older generation, and it's got to stop. The older generation is constantly complaining about what they don't like in the new generation coming up. But can I pose this question? Whose fault is that? Whose fault is that? A child raises up and he's disrespectful and he has no work ethic and he's lazy. Whose fault is that? It's the older generation, isn't it? I mean, you do what you do, and we have messages where, I mean, it's not about perfect parenting, and, and ultimately they have to make their own decisions and choice, but a lot of where our culture is today is because fathers aren't being fathers, and mothers aren't being mothers. 40% of children will go to bed tonight without a dad. 40%. That's a lot. So we have a responsibility as an older generation to not just teach our kids to know God, but to show God. So here's the question. Who's going to rise up to this challenge? Who's going to help us show them? If it's not you, who does? And can I let you in on a little secret? People do what people see. People do what people see. See, how will they know our God if we don't show our God? We are called to reflect him, to represent him, to preach him, not only with our lips, but with our lives. See, there's a lot of people who come and they preach Jesus with their lips, and then they go and they live like, not like Jesus with their lives. And your lives speak louder than your lips. So I want my lips to line up with my life, and I want my life to line up with my lips. Okay? So how will they know if we don't show him? I just listed out a couple things. How will they know our God is a provider if they don't see us trust him with our finances? We prayed with our kids over this past week. We were, going, we're, we were planning on a vacation for the summer. We had no way to pay for it. I didn't know how it was going to happen. I just said, we're going to get away. I don't care if it's a staycation. We're going to do something. And I got an opportunity to go preach in Illinois. I'll be going, so please be praying for me. At the end of this month, a church in Illinois invited our family to go up and share Joel's story with their church. 
So excited about that. Um, we said, hey, we're going to make a vacation out of it. Lindsay's like, how are we going to pay for it? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to trust God. This week, I got a, a, uh, a, a family from Texas sent my family a, a fun jump. Like, my boys called me and said, Daddy, we have a fun jump. I said, a fun jump? What are you talking about? Somebody had found out that we didn't have a lot of stuff for the summer because we have to be very careful what we do with Joel during the summer. He can't be in water and all this stuff. So they sent our family a fun jump. Yeah, that's awesome. And then they also sent a, a card. And open the card, and in it is a check. And I look at our boys, and I go, this is Jesus here. This is Jesus here. That's not going to pay for our whole trip, so if you want to continue to bless us for the rest of the trip, <laughs> we will receive. But it was substantial enough to where we saw God provide. And my kids got to see that because we were praying with them for it. So when you're going through a crisis, do you let your kids on what's going on? Hey, kids, let's pray for this. And then guess what? When it gets answered, they were a part of helping you pray for it. And that stretches their faith. They get to see it. How will they know God is a forgiver if all they see us is holding grudges with our spouse or with our neighbors or with our friends? How will they know God is faithful if they never see us step out in faith and trust him? How will they know our God is worthy to give our lives if all they see is mom and dad going to church every six weeks? How will they know this? We have to show it. You know, one of the things Lindsay and I are very passionate about, and this has just kind of always been my thing. I just love it, and and actually I'm glad I married a, a an incredible woman who loves to do this too, is I love investing in the next generation. I was a youth pastor for six or seven years here, and then I got out of that, and even now being out of it, I still love being with our students. I love being with our college students. I love being with young people. I love investing. I love inviting them over to our house. Our house, usually every week, always got some kind of young people in our home. It's all the time. Because I realized this, that what I had, not a lot of kids had. I had great grandparents. I had great parents. My grandparents opened their home all the time. My grandparents had youth groups meeting in their home. My mom and dad let me have my friends over all the time. My mom and dad wanted that. And I told Lindsay and I have always had this conversation. We want our home to be the, the home where all of our boys can bring their friends. I want, our homes to, I want our boys to enjoy our home, to love our home. And I want to invite other people into our home because they need to see what a real family looks like. The real, too. Lindsay's discipling a girl, and she comes over every week for dinner, and she sits down with our, 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 with our family for dinner, and she sees the real, like, sit at the table. Meet me in the bedroom. She sees that, but she needs to see that. She also sees me playing with our boys, and she sees us interacting, and, and she doesn't have that. And these are, over the past six or seven years, these are the people that we've invested a lot in, and guess what? Those are the weddings that I'm doing now. Those are the babies we're going and seeing because they're families. And I love seeing that. And, and, and I'm going to issue this challenge out to the older generation too. Here, listen, invite young people into your homes. Invite them in. Do you know why our student ministry and our children ministry is so important? Because we have people who are passionate about showing your kids and your students who Jesus is. And I'll I'll be very transparent and honest right here. We have a major need of people to be involved in our older kids department in OSC Kids. I right now have one adult over 30 in Quest. The rest are teenagers and young college people. I just went, Christy, she's not going to, she doesn't know I'm going to say this, but Christy, who's in there right now, is about to serve five weeks in a row. She just told me that. She's like, I'm I'm bracing myself because I'm going to be in here for five weeks. I said, I will not let that happen. And I'm going to issue a challenge to our men here. We need men desperately in OSC Kids. I am tired of seeing our young high school and junior high students out serving our men in this church. That's not just their job. That's our job. And so if you, as I'm speaking, feel prompted 
to be a part. Listen, I don't want you in there because of guilt. I want you in there because you have a passion to show the next generation Jesus. We don't want anybody in there because of guilt. I want you in there because you love Jesus and you want the next generation to know it. So if you don't see me up here in these next couple of weeks, that's where I'll be. Because those departments, our fuel department that meets on Wednesday nights, our C20 that meets on Monday nights, these college and high school and elementary, they're a gift from, the God, from God and they're given to us for us to steward them and then to help proclaim the gospel to them so that they rise up and they proclaim the gospel to the rest of the world. Do you understand that the future of our church sits in those buildings, right? So we should be passionate about that. And if you want to be a part of that, come find me. I'll get you in. So number first one is this next generation doesn't need to know God. They need to, be, to show God. And number two is this next generation doesn't need rules to live by, but a calling to live for. See, Jesus never lowered the standard when he invited people to follow him. And guess what? Listen, this whole thing of like pouring into the next generation, Jesus did it. Paul did it. Moses did it. We're not trying to create something here. This is what the Bible is. This is how the Bible gets transferred from one generation to the next generation. And when Jesus did it, he never lowered his expectations. He said, you want to follow me? You're going to lose your life. How's that for a recruiting process? Hey, you want to come join me? By the way, you got to take up your cross. And in those days, I was like, hey, you want to follow me? You're going to take up the electric chair. That's what that was like. I mean, he didn't sugarcoat it. Hey, I don't have anywhere to sleep. We're good. I don't have anywhere to sleep either. We're going to figure this thing out. This is how it is. Hey, if you want to be the greatest, then be the, be the least. What? Hey, if somebody punches you in this cheek, turn the other one. What is this guy saying? He's crazy. But he continued to leave the level of expectation of this is what I want. And for our young people, listen, older generation, we need to continue to keep that there. This is where it is because what we've done is we've allowed it to slip down. And here's the deal. Our young people always meet the expectation that we expect. So we get what we want. In the Old Testament, before a kid was 12, listen to this. Before a kid was 12, he memorized the first five books of the Bible. We have trouble with our kids memorizing one verse. Why is that? It's because we have lowered the expectation. If we expect much, we will get much. You go, well, it's going to be too hard and they can't do it. They can do more than you think. And here's the truth. Our young people may not say it to you, but they want a challenge. They want a challenge. Give me something to pour my life into. They don't want a list of rules to do this, don't do this, do this, do That's why they leave church. It's because that's all we create is a bunch of do's and don'ts. Don't have sex. Don't smoke. Don't listen to this. Don't do that. They don't care about that. They want to come over here and say, this is what, we're going to change the world. You're going to change your city and you're going to change your school. And it's going to start with your family. And God can use you mightily. What if we stop telling people what they can't do and we start telling our young people what they can do? Let's give them a calling to shoot for. Let's not just settle that our boys would be good little boys and good little girls. How about we make great men of God and great women of God? How about we not settle for, oh, you know what, you can just date around, just don't have sex. Is that our standard? How about the standard be you are going to be pure and holy? You're going to love Jesus passionately. And in, when doing that, God's going to bring you an incredible bride and your wedding day is going to be amazing. Do you understand that they don't have to do that? They don't have to go and date everybody? You know, they can date one and marry one and stay together with one. Do you know that that can actually happen? No, there's no way. I promise you it can happen. We've lowered the expectation and so we let our girls date losers we let our boys flirt with girls and not be men. Adolescence has progressed to the 20s now. Okay? They don't move out of the house and they don't get jobs. They get to stay home and eat all of your food and play games. Why? Because your expectation is here of them now and not here. 
Last week, a couple weeks ago when I told, I said, I looked at Josiah from the stage and said, at 18, you're moving out. We had more of that conversation when I got home. And it was, at 18, you're moving out. I want, by 18, my son has responsibility and knows how to balance a checkbook and knows how to work for what he, want, what he gets. And he takes pride and he works hard. But guess what? That's on me to teach him to do that. You know what I mean? So we got to put a call on our kids' lives, not just rules. May we, oh, I love this quote. May we be only one generation, or we may be only, only one generation away from losing the truth, but we are also only one generation from changing the world. We're only one generation from losing the truth, but we're also only one generation from changing the world. And let me tell you, all of our older people in here, you don't have to understand them, you just have to value them. You will never understand why they wear their jeans so tight. And I'm talking about the guys. You will never understand why there's deep V-neck shirts. I'm not into it. I don't do it myself. You're not going to understand why that's the case. But you don't have to understand why. You just got to value them. So here's my encouragement to the older generation. Value them. Speak into them. Invest in them. Love them. Call greatness out of them. Stop with the negative, the critical, they're not this, they're not that. You keep speaking that over them, guess what? That's what they become. But we say more. In OSC, we're going to hold that standard high. Okay, so older generation, you're done for the moment. You can take a breather. Let me get after the young. All right, so here's the young generation. First off, let me just say this. You're not the church of tomorrow, you're the church of today. You're not the church of tomorrow, you're the church of today. Right now, I love the fact that our church is passionate about building generationally. You saw up here a bunch of guys that were in their 20s leading you in worship. If you would have came 10 years ago, you would have saw guys in their teens leading worship. I love that our pastor has no, he is, he is age blind when it comes to being used in the ministry. He does not wait till you get to your 20s or 30s or married to be able to be used. You can be used right now. I don't care if you're in here and you're 12. I'm teaching my boys right now at 8 to put their hands on people and pray for them. We, we, we got to teach them right now that they are the church of today. This young generation are passionate and they're creative and they want to give their life to a cause and the problem, though, is this is the hurdle, young generation, that you have to get over. The Wall Street Journal did a uh, survey, and they asked the older generation people, how would you describe the younger generation in one word? And this is what they did. They got all that, they got the word, and they went back to the younger generation, and they said, how do you think that the older generation, they used a word, and it starts with the letter E, how, would, how do you think that they described you? So the younger generation said, Energetic. They said, no. Enthusiastic, no. Entrepreneurial, no. Entitled. That's the word that they use to describe you. Entitled. Y'all know what entitled is, right? Entitled is that you think you deserve so much so fast. And And let me say this to the younger generation. It's not your fault that you're entitled. You don't know well, it is in some areas. We'll get to that. But you don't know how things were different when before you were born. You don't know that there was actually phones that actually were connected to the wall. <laughs> that had dials. <laughs> you don't know the fact that there was actually like, there, before there was even cell phones, there was, there was beepers. I remember traveling with my grandfather. He was a very successful businessman. And, and he had a cell phone and it was in a bag in his car, plugged to the cigarette lighter, and this big, and he carried around like on the job site, it was like a big purse, you know, and then he had a beeper, and this is when they were just first trying to figure out how beepers worked, and the beeper would vibrate, but it didn't have a number, you just knew that somebody was trying to get in touch with you, so then you would have to go what, it's called a payphone, I know you don't know what these are, younger generation, 
But you'd have to go to a place and then get quarters and put it in there. And you call. Hey, did you call me? No. Okay. Hey, did you call me? No. Okay, well, I, well, I don't know who it is. All right. I, 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 there was no, there's no internet. There's no Siri asking something where things are. Like, if you wanted to know where somewhere was, you actually had to get out and go into the gas station and say, where do I go from here? I'm lost. There's none of that anymore. I was in Oklahoma today, and we were at the rental, car rental place, and the guy says, do you want a map? And I said, sure. And I grabbed it, and Zach goes, are you really going to use that? <laughs> Planning on it, I don't know. We did not use the map at all. We used our iPhones the whole time. All right? There's no texting in those days. If you wanted to, like, share something with somebody, you actually had to, like, sit down and, like, pull out a sheet of paper and, like, write, <laughs> fold it, stick it in an envelope, lick it, stamp it, send it, wait nine days for somebody. <laughs> See, but here's the problem. Most of our young generation, their first phone is this phone. And this phone has the ability to contact 100 people in five seconds. I can text a whole group of people and tell them, nope, not going here, going here, and change routes in five seconds. And that's amazing. I love it. I mean, our whole ordeal with, with Joel, because of technology, we were able to stay connected with people. And I love that. Here's the downside to it, though, is that because the young generation thinks that everything works so fast that way, they take that same principle and they apply it to life. And they think, I'm going to start something, and then in, within a week or two, it's going to blow up, and it's going to be amazing, and it's going to be big, and then they get a real quick reality check that there's something that the older generation did that they didn't do, and that's called work and sacrifice and faithfulness and steadfastness. And here's the deal, younger generation. Listen, if you don't understand that it takes steadfastness and faithfulness and hard work to do something, the first week you'll get disillusioned and the second week you'll quit. Because you think that everything just works that way. Everything's just microwaved real quick. Everything just goes. You, you know, you start on the job and you should be the manager by week three, right? No. And you can just show up late whenever you want. You can just treat it like it's, you're at your house. And that's called, you get fired. Right, older generation? So, that, and that, that's just the same way. Listen, you start a ministry, and you think you're going to have like 10,000 people, and Louis Giglio is going to come preach at your, you know, your thing. And then you're like, well, there's three people here. Faithfulness, integrity, endurance. Pastor Craig Rochelle, this is in your notes. I love this. He said this. You grossly overestimate, this is to the young generation. Listen, you grossly overestimate what God wants to do you through, through you in the short run and tragically underestimate what God wants to do through you in the long run. So let me, let me wrap this up because I know I'm going long. How to, I, I, I titled this, How to Be Discipled by the Older Generation. But I also would say this. What does the older generation need from you? Because I talked about what the young generation needs from the older generation, but what does the older generation need from you as young? Okay, if you're under the age of 30, raise your hand. Under the age of 30, wow, listen to that. Almost half the church. I love it, though. 50 young, 50% home. Listen to this. Number one, walk humbly. Walk humbly. 1 Peter 5.5, 5. I'm just going to read it real quick, um, just for time's sake, but it says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with what? With humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Walk humbly. Humility is this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Amen. Humility is not thinking of yourself. I mean, not thinking less of yourself. Like, oh, I'm just all pity me. Oh, I'm not that good. That's not humility. That's actually pride. Humility is the fact that you just don't think about yourself as much. 
problem that you're, the reason that you're so entitled is because all you think about is you. Humble people think of everyone else. Proud people think of themselves. And the greatest opportunity for you to learn is when you make a mistake. And walking humility means when you make a mistake, you own it, and then you allow someone who's older to teach you the right way to do it. And for you not to be prideful and go, I know how to do it. My son constantly is that way with me. I know how to do it. I'm like, oh, you do, don't you? Go on ahead. And he's like, come on. And then I'm like, bloop. (laughs) Daddy knows what he's talking about. And if you'd walk humbly and go, teach me. How do I do this? You get a lot further. Not only is Jesus the most humble person ever, but his death on the cross was the most humble act in all of humanity. Think about that. Jesus is the most humble man ever, and the most humble act he ever did was die on the cross. And so, young people, I'm, I'm asking you to look to Jesus. This, this verse said to clothe yourselves with humility. That means you've got to take it on and put it on. Humility is not just naturally there. Pride is naturally there. Humility is something you've got to put on. We put on humility. And here's, here's verse 6 says, humble yourselves. So I, I wrote this down. God always asks us to humble ourselves. Plan A is for us to walk in humility. Plan B, though, is humiliation. So God's first way that he wants to do is you walk humbly. But if you don't, he humiliates you. Some of you don't like that preaching, but he does. And for the older generation, he's probably done it to you too. That if you don't walk humbly enough, he'll find a way to humble you. And it's usually humiliating. See, because God opposes the proud. He fights the proud. He resists the proud. He can't bless the proud because if he blessed the proud, then they would be more proud. So we need to walk humbly. Second, Second one is we need to speak honorably. Speak honorably. Back in 1 Timothy, can we throw that back up there? 1 Timothy 5, it says, Don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him, as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. It doesn't say that you can't disagree. I always thought that this meant you can't disagree. Listen, me and Pastor Bubba disagree about a lot of things. He'll say something, I'm like, I don't don't think that's right. And it's okay if I do it honorably. Honorably. Now, if I think my way is the right way and no other way, that's dishonor and that's wrong. I don't mind if my sons disagree with me as long as we can talk through it in an honorable way. So you can speak honorably to somebody and still disagree with them. But it says for us to encourage the older men, young guys, young guys in here, when's the last time you've encouraged somebody older in your life? Your dad, your pastor, a friend who's older. Encourage them as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. In all purity. We want to speak honorably. And here's the thing about entitlement. If you, if you think you deserve much, you honor little. Uh, that just shot over like a lot of heads. If you think you deserve much, you honor little. You don't give honor to people when you think you deserve it. Right? So I, I, here's just a real quick practical thing, and I'm going to do this to the younger generation, but this might be even to the older here. If you have dishonored authority in your life, whether it's a parent, a pastor, a friend, somebody that's been speaking into your life and you've dishonored them, and that's maybe in thought, maybe that's in speech, maybe that whatever that is, you need to humble yourself and repent. I, I teach my boys, say thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. When somebody, I'm still trying to teach them this. When somebody's talking to you, you look them in the eye. You shake them with a handshake. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to teach my boys how to give honor. So when we go into OSC Kids and they go into their classrooms, like this is Miss Bridget, this is Miss Myra, this is Mr. Okay, we're giving these names. It's not because these people are something special, which they are. I'm not saying that. They're very special. But it's not so much for them as it is for my boys to give honor to where honor is due, okay? And so we, 
Teach them that. And you need to teach your children that. That's how we put honor on people. And then last one last is pers- uh, pursue Jesus passionately. <clears throat> pursue Jesus passionately. Last verse, we're going to finish with this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 22. Look what this says. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. My last challenge to this young generation that the older generation needs from you is not only for you to walk humbly, not only is it for you to speak honorably, but it's for you to live passionately and pursue Jesus passionately. And if you pursue Jesus passionately, here's the thing, you will flee your passions. See, because here's the deal. And if you want to write this next to your Bible or next to that verse, I, I, I wrote down three things. This verse speaks of three things. Running from, running to, and running with. Speaks of three things. Running from youthful passions, running to Jesus and his righteousness and love and hope and peace and joy, and running with people. So here's the question that I want to pose as a church to everybody. Are you running from sin? Are you running to Jesus? And who are you running with? Are you running by yourself? See, this young generation needs the older generation because this verse says, you know how you run from and you run to is when you run with. When you run with people, they call that out of you. When you run with people, they see that and say, stay away from there. This is where you need to go. So we need to pursue Jesus passionately. When we pursue Jesus passionately, we run from sin aggressively. Everybody in here that has a sin problem, it's because you don't pursue Jesus. The more you pursue Jesus, the easier it is to deal with sin. Right? Pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus. The Bible, uh, the song, y'all know the song, turn your eyes to Jesus, turn your eyes on him, look full into his wonderful gaze, and the things of this world will grow what? Strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know what that means? When I look to Jesus, everything else fades out. Your problem is you're trying to fix the stuff, and what happens is you get stuck more in the mud. But if you would look to Jesus and pursue Jesus, it's, a, it's incredible how he fixes the stuff, and then you'd get to do it with other people who love Jesus, love God, challenge you to do that. So I want to do, I want to end this message in a very different way. If you are under the age of 30, I want you to stand up right now. Under the age of 30, I want you to stand up. Wow. And I want us to do this because here's the deal. Every message that you hear, you have a responsibility now with what you heard. Do you understand that? Every time you hear a message, you have a responsibility to either disregard it or to hear it, obey it, and apply it. And so I want to apply what we're speaking of today. And I want this. I want our older generation to gather around our younger generation, and I want you to speak life into them. I want you to pray over them. I want you to encourage them. I want you to let them know that you're there for them and you believe in them. So right now, get up. Go find somebody. Come on, we're going to practice this right now. Find somebody, older, guy, older guys, older girls. Find someone who's standing, and I want you to speak life into them. We're going to take two minutes. Don't leave. We're going to take two minutes. We're going to come back and finish this up.